Welcome to the I Hate Critics Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic Sean Patrick and Jeff Lasseter. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, IHateCritics.com. Uh, we're on all the social media platforms, uh, I Hate Critics or Critics Pod. Uh, follow us there, subscribe, whatnot. Uh, go to uh, any of your podcatchers. We're there, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Alexa, Uh like and review the show if you go to apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review we'll read it on the air we're on youtube we're also on patreon patreon.com slash critics pod is the best way to support the podcast then we have our t public page over at ihatecritics.net up in the right hand corner sean where can people read your reviews geeks.media horror.media and uh, the archive blog is at sean at the movies.blogspot.com for now and jeff what do you got going on uh, my links are at jefflasseter.com. Um, I don't have any more shows or anything until sometime next year. I'm kind of sad about it because all I've all I'm relying on is Etsy. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a link to my Etsy. Please go and buy shit from me. I just got new stickers in and um, working on a pre-order for a Silent Night Deadly Night. That if anybody wants to pre-order it, I just need a couple to be able to produce it. So. Excellent. Get on it, people. <laughs> all right, and all our links are in our show notes as well. All right, before we get going to the podcast, there's, I guess, the Golden Globes nominations popped up. We're not going to talk about them as a whole, but Sean wanted to talk about a couple of things. I just want to make fun of the Golden Globes a little bit because they've they launched a new category this year for best money-making blockbuster what? <laughs> yeah, they're gonna give out. They're giving out an award for what they call the best money making blockbuster. Uh, it, and basically, this is just a category they invented so that they could give Taylor Swift an award and hope that she might show up to accept it. <laughs> it's one of the most pathetic things I think I've ever seen uh, in award show history. Because you know, the Golden Globes is already kind of bullshit, but for them to just nakedly like be bullshit is just kind of funny. <laughs> it's like we already know you're the Golden Globes, but like this is this is low even for you. Uh, <laughs> God, what are they a pick me high school girl? <laughs> right. Please, Taylor Swift, please accept this award, please. It's so pathetic, but like they they got that Guardians of the Galaxy. I think got nominated for it. Uh, both Oppenheimer and Barbie, obviously, because they were so successful. And uh, then then a movie that actually didn't do that great at the box office, but everybody expected it to. Mission Impossible, the the uh, Reckon- Dead Reckoning one. I mean, it did well, but people expected that to do far better than it did. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's still a blockbuster, but I think they finalized this category before that movie, actually. <laughs> before the, Like, just pick the ones that we think are going to be blockbusters, and that'll be the nominations. We'll just put it out the day of. Who cares? Uh, it's <laughs> It's very funny to me. The the Golden Globes is already, you know, just awful. But yeah, this is just just the icing on the awful cake of the Golden Globes, really. Well, I wor- think that the Golden Globes peaked when Christine Lottie was really drunk and got up there and talked about how drunk she was. I think that's when they peaked for me. <laughs> that was twenty years ago. No, I'm assuming Oppenheimer and Barbie were nominated for the main, like. Oppenheimer for the drama and Barbie for the comedy, right? Yeah, May December uh, got a comedy nomination as well. 
So it's like you're already probably going to give it to. They're probably each going to win. I'd imagine Barbie wins comedy and Oppenheimer wins the other one. Maybe not. But if that's the case, then one of them should win this blockbuster award, not Taylor Swift. I mean, you would think that uh, you know they nominated. They didn't. They didn't like pick the top six highest grossing movies of the year. They just picked six movies that they considered to be blockbusters. <laughs> Because yeah, that's dumb. It's called the box office award, but like Rogue uh, or Dead Reckoning was not among the top six guys grossing movies of the year. I don't think. <laughs> it should have been most profitable. Anyway, that's stupid, and we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll get to the Netflix movies later, but we'll start with Eileen. Eileen uh, stars Anne Hathaway and Thomason McKenzie in the story of a young woman who works at a prison in the uh, Massachusetts area. She's got a, an abusive father, played by Shea Wiggum, uh, and her life generally isn't uh, going anywhere. Then this uh, new prison psychiatrist shows up, played by Anne Hathaway, and she starts to see the world a little bit differently. Uh, and Hathaway kind of lights up the world a little bit. And they kind of have this flirtation going on that the, this is the kind of the first time the outside world has come to this young girl's life. Uh, she's very sheltered. We see her early on in the movie watching a couple uh, make out in a car. She's in a different car just watching them make out. And she gets so excited. She like shoves snow down her pants to try and cool herself off. That's an actual scene in this movie. Uh, then, of course, she just gets completely turned on her head by by the attention of Anne Hathaway's character, but Anne Hathaway's character is kind of manipulating her along the way because she needs somebody to help her with this case that she's working involving this kid who's a prisoner at the prison. And uh, she thinks that he's been wrongfully accused because he, he murdered his abusive father and he wants the mother. She wants the mother to admit that she allowed this abuse to happen and thus maybe give this guy a chance to get out of prison. Uh, this turns into like a true crime movie into the third, in the third act. And it really only uses the LGBTQ stuff to kind of, I guess, as a marketing campaign, like, hey, watch Thomas and McKenzie maybe make out with Anne Hathaway a little bit. Also, hey, there's a true crime twist. Uh, it's, really, it's really kind of gross, and I really didn't, I really didn't care for it. I, I found it kind of ugly uh, from a stylistic perspective. Uh, and the movie is based off a book that is, I guess, far more transgressive and a lot more gross. Uh, than this, which is interesting, far more interesting than what they did with this. But just like I said, it just has this little third act true crime twist that just doesn't work for me. And overall, just this whole movie just doesn't work for me, even as great as Anne Hathaway is. Yeah, I didn't get to the theater to see it. Uh, Jeff, were you planning on seeing it? I know you weren't able to, but I was not able to, but I want to um, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> <laughs> On our podcast about movies. Um, I actually want to go see it at the last picture house. Oh, are they showing it there? Uh, they were, but it looked like it was only one night. Yeah, I don't think they are anymore. Yeah. We'll have to schedule a time to do something there. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah maybe don't go see the Iron, Cro Iron Claw, but I mean, other than that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, should, I should have mentioned this when we were talking about links earlier. I dropped my 5,000 word Iron Claw takedown today. So that's out there. Anybody wants to check that out? The embargo so, lifted. So you're the one. 
I like the Baseball Hall of Fame where you don't vote for King Griffey Jr. or Derek Jeter or whatever. Is that kind of no. what this is? This is just most film critics are are also wrestling fans. <laughs> no, I'm excited to either be able to distance myself from being a wrestling fan or or hopefully I can come up with something different <laughs> when we do eventually talk about it when it comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. The Boy and the Heron. The Boy and the Heron is uh, Hayao Miyazaki returns to uh, theaters after uh, 10 years away. He In 2013, after he did The Wind Rises, which is another incredible masterpiece, he said he was stepping away, but then he got this idea for this movie into his head and just couldn't let it go. So he spent the last uh, five years or so putting this project together, and it's out now. And it's this wonderful story of this of this boy coping with the, the loss of his mother in World War II. Uh, his, he and his father moved to this uh, uh, out moved to the outskirts of uh, of Tokyo, and and our uh, his father's operating uh, a business out there, and he's kind of absent most of the time. And the boy just kind of goes off into the woods and starts exploring and. There's this heron, this bird that keeps following him everywhere and, and uh, eventually starts talking to him and telling him that he can reunite the boy with his late mother. And the boy follows him into this tower that's located on the property and magical things begin to happen. But also this story is about not not replacing his mother, but having a new mother figure in his life. Uh, the uh, His aunt sort of becomes a mother figure to him and she's also pregnant and about to have a baby and she ends up going missing in this tower and he ends up having to be a hero and save her and there's a whole lot of just beauty and life and just incredible animation and of course it's incredible it's Hayao Miyazaki but uh, he's got he's he's so brilliant at telling these stories uh, about about young children and imagination and this dreamlike imagery and and then matching it even with like in this ele- in this movie he's got a lot of really strong horror elements like visual horror elements that are are frightening, but also at the same time, not so frightening that I think children will be terrified of it. There's a scene where it appears that the boy is going to be real reunited with his late mother. And he walks up to her and he puts his hand on her shoulder and she turns to water and just kind of drifts away. And it is terrifying, but also just incredibly beautiful at the same time. And he's got a couple of those moments that he really just nails where it's this sort of frightening horror, body horror thing happening, but also but it's also got this deeper meaning behind it every time. And Miyazaki's just incredible at that. Of course, this is the best animated movie of the year. It's Miyazaki. He always makes the best animated movie of any year he puts one out. And uh, this one's no different. This is absolutely brilliant and a, and a must-see movie. It sounds like everything good about this is what's wrong with the last movie we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> uh Let's see anything else on this before we move on. I wish everyone would uh, give this a chance, like I said. And if you've never uh, watched Miyazaki, I mean, everything that he's done is pretty brilliant. But like, I, I've written about this and The Wind Rises and uh, Howl's Moving Castle. Uh, they're all brilliant. And you can you can't go wrong with any one of them. Does he generally beat the Pixar movies when it comes to award time, or does he get shafted? He tends to. I mean, he's always nominated. I don't. I don't recall what his, what his track record is. I believe. I believe more mainstream stuff tends to win. Pixar used to make really great movies that were, you know, undeniable 
<laughs> just just as undeniable as Miyazaki, honestly. But uh, it's been a while now. <laughs> <clears throat> May December. May December, directed by Todd Haynes and starring uh, Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman, uh, tells the story essentially, kind of a loosely based on the famed Mary Kay Letourneau case, in which a a teacher started date, uh, starting having sex with one of her students, a 13-year-old boy. Uh, this picks up that story some, like, 30 years down the road. And a movie is about to be made about this story about this woman who had an affair with a young boy she, she was working with at a pet store. And uh, she ended up going to jail, but they ended up also going on to get married and spend, you know, the rest, most of the rest of their lives together and. Uh, Natalie Portman is playing an actress who's going to play Julianne Moore's character in the movie, and she's gone to this their home in Georgia to spend time with them and to learn about them and try and tell their story in a way that that uh, is perhaps, I don't know, sympathetic or at least honest about the way this story goes. And it's, uh, it's classically Todd Haynes, where he's kind of deconstructing uh, the whole idea of how our culture how, how the voyeur, how our voyeuristic culture kind of unfolds in these stories, the way we, the way we dehumanize people and and refuse to stare down the actual human beings that are at the heart of stories like this, we do tend to dehumanize these people and to take away any kind of recognizable aspect from them, whether it's the young child victim or the or the woman who you know who committed the crime. Uh, Charles Melton especially does an amazing job of kind of reminding us that this boy has all was a boy for a very long time and was sheltered and kind of, well, honestly groomed into being a father of three who is really not prepared to be any kind of father at all. Uh, you know, he just kind of and this woman who seems to have taken up a life just to prove everybody else wrong. Uh, that's kind of a from my from my perspective anyway, Julianne Moore kind of plays her character as if she stayed in this and stayed with this as long as she has, simply to prove that this was real and not something that that was just a spur of the moment, you know, crime or mistake that she made or that she was some sort of uh, groomer or abuser. She wanted to prove everybody wrong, and so she gets into this marriage and just sticks and sticks and sticks and forces him to stick and. As this kind of unfolds and, and we, we get to learn more about these characters, it just Haynes just deconstructs this so beautifully. This is an incredible film. It's darkly funny at times, uh, at times like searingly darkly <laughs> funny. And uh, Natalie Portman just just kills this. She is so incredible. There's a scene with her just talking direct to the camera from the script for the movie. And it is just it is amazing to watch her tr transform into that character it's really this movie is exciting this is some of the best work of todd haynes's career and that's saying a lot because uh, he's made a lot of really great movies but this one's right up near the top of the stuff that he's done yeah no i thought this is really good jeff what did you think oh i loved it i, I mean i've seen the discourse where you know people are saying it's a comedy and other people are like, this can't be no it's not i'm like it, this is like the darkest of dark comedy. <laughs> um, you know, and everybody in it is playing it just almost straight, but not quite. Right. You know, it's like just off a little bit. And you're like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I, don't 
I don't think that's. I'm not supposed what to people laugh at this. think. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I. Yeah, I mean, it's. Just, I agree completely. Go ahead. Well, I just I I think the I love the way I mean not since like Tropic Thunder I'm sure there's been other movies but has someone kind of nailed the up their own ass of some actors the way Natalie Portman did uh, mm-hmm. that it was I mean every performance was great because you're right it's like just slightly heightened enough to make it live in its own little universe uh, I mean you're dealing with statutory rape and I mean, there's a lot of stuff you're dealing with here, but uh, the way he makes the human element come through is it's the way we should look at things more often. Uh, You know, there's mental illness involved. There's a lot of different things. uh, But at the end of the day, the movie itself, it's watchable, probably not for your non movie goer. I mean, I could see a lot of, your everyday the people that like the next movie probably won't get this one. Uh, but I, I do think it's a fantastic movie. It's on Netflix now. It's and a, I want to yeah, go ahead. Jeff. I want to shout out Charles Melton because he's like, he's the heart of it. Oh, that's you know, while, that bedroom scene. Wow. Where yeah. he, he's sitting there and she wakes up and sees him and the, and he gets finally gets into it with her. Mm-hmm. He goes to some places that it, it takes a lot of it takes a lot of guts to do what he does there to to be as vulnerable and emotional as he is. Uh, you know, we we tend to to cast as a society we tend to castigate men who are who are too in touch with their feelings, or we get embarrassed when a man uh, gets into his mo- emotions so much. So to see him go as deeply and uh, as deeply vulnerable as he does in that moment, especially in a movie like this that does have a certain sort of heightened uh, dramatism to it, it, it's really incredible to watch him, you know, drag this movie back to a point where it's like, look at me as a fucking human being, please. Yeah. I do. Yeah, wish- he, uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, the way that it's it's a. A very dark comedy, but he is the only one I think that gets that moment that's not comic at all. That it really says, and it's more it's more of the audience, you know, who watched the Mary Kay Letourneau uh, thing and just like ate everything up until even you know after she died, and you know it's pointedly telling those people you're talking about this woman like, you know, or, or me like, Oh wow. You got this older woman. And remember I was 12 years old and I was legally raped and he's the only one who gets to have that, that real moment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, and yeah. she blames him too. I mean, it's just, well, of course a, she does. Who was in charge? Who was in charge? Fantastic scene. You know, and I really think that it's almost like like Julianne Moore was the you know like went and spent time with her the way Natalie Portman does in the movie. <laughs> I know she didn't, but right. it, that that kind of getting getting to the heart of who that woman was just and that's the moment where she blames everybody but herself, and she's the aggressor. 
no matter what. Mm. So, yeah, I, I reflect the I was reflecting back on this as I was watching it about how Jay Leno used to make jokes about this every night, and it mm-hmm. just occurred it just occurred to me like we all just normalized that back you know in ninety in the early nineties we just sort of normalized the idea that this woman raped a thirteen year old boy and we're making fun of it. We're making jokes about it on late night TV, uh, and uh, yeah, oh, hide the kid, hide your hide your sons. Oh, there's this crazy woman around. You know, this like Jesus Christ, what the fuck? We still make that joke <laughs> well, we, today. We also, yeah, right? <laughs> we also look at when when like a twelve year old girl is raped by um, a teacher. Yeah, you know, like oh my god, he's the worst person in the world, but. When this 13-year-old boy was raped by this woman, oh, yeah, good for you, dude. You know, like, he gets a slap on the back and isn't treated with the deference that he should be. And that's what Charles Melton does in this whole is in this movie. He brings that, you know, that vulnerability that he has never gotten to show Ooh. to that moment. I like that that moment and the, and the moment where he where he's smoking weed with his son is another tremendous <laughs> yeah. scene because here he is again getting to be the kid he never was uh, mm-hmm. and and again he's bringing it back to this very real place and you know the, the sex scene with Natalie Portman as well is like deeply uncomfortable and again he risks <laughs> not for me <laughs> I'm just kidding he risks so much uh, of being uh, you because he could he's inviting you to potentially laugh at him or make fun of him he's he's going to a place where where you know if you're not comfortable uh if you're not able to you know be empathetic uh you're going to potentially make fun of him and he's going to that place intentionally and forcing you to confront this like uh, try and laugh at this really do try and laugh at this this isn't funny uh and it's not he's he's not the subject of the joke todd haynes does an amazing job and, and with charles milton of of not letting him be the joke about making you confront the things that this guy's been through in a way that that is highly confrontational and very emotional and very real at the same time you know deconstructing this situation and you know forcing you to all the laughs are just deeply uncomfortable but, but they're deeply uncomfortable in a way that that makes sense that that uh, you should feel uncomfortable about this that we all should be ashamed of ourselves over this well we're all complicit because yeah. we let the story go on and and on and on and on. And, you know, we're still going on even after she's dead and he's with another woman. And that's- it, it realistically, when you look back on the kinds of things that the, and I'm going back to the Jay Leto thing, but he should have been canceled. <laughs> we should have had him thrown off of television for the garbage that he was doing, the, that he was basically normalizing. Uh, as a culture, like the you know the O.J. Simpson jokes, like here's Norm Macdonald doing actual jokes, you know that make sense about you know this is awful. What the fuck are we doing? And then you got Leno with the dancing Edos on a nightly basis, and we're all just letting that go. I mean, he was making jokes about stories like this all the time, and normalizing you know, just the worst kind of behavior as if we're supposed to just kind of treat it like entertainment. Quick aside, I share my birthday with Anne Margaret, Saddam Hussein, and Jay Leno. Oh. And do you know the one that I'm ashamed to say I share my birthday with? It's not Saddam Hussein, <laughs> but Jay Leno. Yeah. 
The movie's not about him. He's not in no, the movie. I was going to say, we're like 10 years too late on the Jay Leno hate, too. <laughs> oh, no, it's never too late to hate Jay Leno. Yeah, it's never too late. You can, I'll, I'll carry but that nobody with cares about Jay Leno anymore. <laughs> I'm like, going to piss on his grave one day. It'll be, it'll be glorious. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We're making Bob very uncomfortable. Well, no, I mean, I, I'm not a Jay Little fan either, but I mean, they literally SNL did a sketch not that long ago with Ronda Rousey and Pete Davidson where he's on the stand because he had a three-way with his teachers and Ronda Rousey and Cecily Strong, I think, were the defendants and the judge was patting him on the back and the, it, I mean... It's not going away. That that kind. Of, everybody still makes the joke about how you know we pat the boy on the back and uh, and I, I get that, but that that boy is not going to end up dealing with it till he's you know older. And it's I don't know. It, it's there's the whole. This movie does such a great job of kind of showing you that. Uh, Back to that scene with Natalie, the bedroom scene with Natalie Portman and him. Uh, you know, you we're kind of we're not quite her because she's still over the top, almost trying to become this lady. And in a way, she's like raping him <laughs> in that scene, mm-hmm. uh, even though she's on the bottom and whatever. But it's still, it's uh, I don't know. You just slowly start to hate her a little bit more. I mean, I don't know. Well, it's I, the emotional manipulation right. that he's experienced his entire life and she's just doing it again. You know, like every woman he meets does this to him. And it's the, and it, you know, it's again, it's it's (laughs) Hollywood dehumanizing something that is deeply human. This is deeply personal to this young man. This, this uh, event changed his life and you're, you know, making a drama about it and trying to use it as motivation for a performance. And it's, he's reminding you, this is not a performance. This is my life. This, actually happened to me and that's the heart of this is that todd hames keeps going back to is that these were actual human beings at the center of this especially this young boy and this isn't funny and it's not entertainment it's not we shouldn't be treating this like it's entertainment if there's one thing i wish and i know it's not reasonable but this would have been nice to see in a theater with an audience and Mm -hmm. And I know if it got released to theaters, it's going to be like four screenings for the weekend, and you got to schedule, line it all up. And I never would have made it anyway. So I'm glad I saw it, but seeing it with an audience would have been made it that much more powerful. I think. Mm-hmm. Yep, I can see that. <laughs> Leave the world behind. Leave the world. Leave behind. this movie behind. Directed by Sam Esmail and uh, starring. Julia Roberts, Mahershala Ali, and Ethan Hawke in uh, kind of a, an apocalypse story, I guess. Uh, this family rents an Airbnb for the weekend. They show up. They're having a good time. But then all the the uh, phones go out. The TV goes out. And uh, suddenly we're in the midst of a uh, potential apocalypse. Uh, this is very this is a very over-directed movie. Do you guys pick up on, on just the amount of camera movements that Sam Esmail is doing in every scene? Like trying to force you to feel uncomfortable when his movie is incapable of doing it itself. Uh, he's constantly doing that. On top of that, with the score, the score is just pushy and manipulative, trying to make you feel uncomfortable, trying to uh, push you to a place where you're feeling anxiety. And it's just 
basically you notice the camera work and you notice the score because the movie itself is not accomplishing what it's trying to accomplish. Right. I mean, Every you, time somebody, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. Every time somebody realizes something in the movie, and the camera goes upside down in a oh. circle, is so distracting. <laughs> right. And I'm just like, why are you doing this? Does it constantly? And the whole point is just to 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 be showy and to try and cover up the fact that he doesn't have the goods. He doesn't have uh, a compelling you know, disaster going on. He embarrassed his actors. You know, when you're an actor, you know, you have to trust your director to not make you look like a fool. And we, there's a nothing but good actors in this movie. And they don't look like they could look worse, but the characters are so poorly developed that he definitely does a disservice to everybody in this movie. Uh, and at times does make him look kind of foolish. Uh, the, you know, you said it's over directed. It's over everything. It's over, you know, the symbolism that's so spoon fed to you. It, it's like, I don't know. It's like Ari Aster or someone trying to like Ari Aster directing Armageddon. I, I don't know. It's, <laughs> I'd rather watch that to be perfectly honest. And, and that's not the way I want to say cast. it. With this cast. Right. But that's not what I'm trying to say. Cause that would be good. You're right. It's more like whoever, what Michael Bay direct, trying to direct uh Ari Aster movies, probably more like what it is. Uh, it, it's just, my wife watched it first and she loved it. Then she got on TikTok and was, fell down this, you know, uh, wind tunnel of everybody convincing her that it's still great. She didn't go down the conservative one. She went down the liberal one where it was they're <laughs> saying how great it is. Yeah. To the point where it was like the liberal sound of freedom. Oh, God. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I kind of picked up on that vibe. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, so I'm watching it with her and she's just uh, and I'm kind of like I'm frustrated that she loves us so much but I'm trying to be polite and she keeps asking me, do you get it? I'm like, no, of course I get it. They're like literally taking it and spoon feeding me everything. I, I don't, there's nothing impressive. And some of the shit that just get wrong, the whole racism part is so bad in this. Oh God. It's uh, so yeah. awful. It was, I was picking up that, that whole, I mean, basically Julia Roberts is playing Sandra Bullock in drive or crash. I mean, <laughs> she's playing Sandra Bullock in crash the entire time. It's but worse. So I mean, but it really is because in the scenario that she's in, if a white person yeah. came through, she'd act the same way, and I'd believe it. Uh, it really is a very thin, like what they're trying to go for. The whole thing is just so poorly put together. Uh, and I'm not lying. I swear to God, this is true. About halfway through, the little girl's bitching about not seeing friends, and mm-hmm. I look at my wife and I go, She's gonna watch Friends while something bad's happening at the end, right? She's like, "Well, you only know that because you watch movies." I'm like, "No, maybe I, I don't know. People watch movies. There's no way. I I, I don't know." And, oh, come on, Bob! That was a big symbolic moment. You know, the like the whole world is ending, but we're still narcotized by our entertainment. It's like you almost knock yourself out, rolling your eyes. You. <laughs> Such, such heavy-handed bullshit. That ending is such heavy-handed bullshit. Right. And then you throw in the social media yep. stuff that's going on makes it even worse. 
big up to big up to physical media though. Rock on. You know, she's she's watching DVDs at the end. I'm I'm all about it. Right after Disney. Oh, that's what I'm gonna do when the world ends. <laughs> I'm gonna watch Maud again. <laughs> like he, he, the thing is, is that he, he's kind of doing this whole thing where he's kind of making it is it supernatural or is it uh, just actually happening? And then uh, I don't know. Did he ever set? I mean, I guess he settled on it being a real thing that's happening. Uh, but like the whole thing about what happens to her son, where his like his teeth start falling out. Like what are the sound? What was the sound thing? Was that a terror? Was that supposed to be a terrorist attack? I don't think it mattered. Well, it's they actually <laughs> they explain it. They, it's okay. the thing um, that uh, in Cuba when all the people were getting some sort of sonic oh, weapon yeah, aimed at him. Right. They do call that out. Yeah. They, they should have so, just used the brown note. It would have been fucking hilarious. But they oh wanted to God, get you to, they needed to get you to Kevin Bacon or Joe Rogan or whatever you want to call him. And <laughs> you know, to show I mean it, it, it's trying to capture everything within these two and a half families or whatever, if you can account Kevin Bacon. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I was like my level of hate kept growing and growing, and then my wife sends a text, a group text to all of our friends that how much she loves the movie. And then one of my friends texts me, and he's halfway through it. He goes, "Am I wrong? But I kind of hate this movie." <laughs> I'm like, "No, you're, you're good." And he's not even a moviegoer. Uh, and then I, I don't know. It, it's you throw in the just the social media stuff. The fact that Obama is the executive producer of it is just a name. It's not like he did anything. <laughs> he didn't direct the movie, didn't write the movie. He liked the uh, well yeah. According to Twitter notes. According to Twitter, it's a global he's part of the global cabal that is trying to desensitize us to all of this and he is going to take over and be the leader of the New World Order and, and I just can't even fucking deal. I, 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 I'm just like, you know, it was a book. I, I, I actually actually responded to somebody who was, she was just going on and on in some sort of unhinged rant about it. I'm like, you know, this was a book first, right? And then I was like, wait, no, of course you don't know because book. <laughs> I should send you guys the one I, I saw uh, that where somebody, uh, my friend Corey sent it to me that uh, they tried to blame Julia Roberts and Barack Obama for the death of Matthew Perry because Julia Roberts' birthday is the same day Matthew Perry died. They watch Friends in this movie, and Obama is the executive producer. So he killed Matthew Perry, and he's uh, going to kill more of us. <laughs> it was just, it was. What? I, I'm, I'll have to send you the TikTok. But I mean, it literally is that stupid. Uh, and, but it's. And on one hand, you want to laugh at it, but the other hand, it's just like this person believes this, or somebody believes it. Whether they're messing with people trying to get them to believe it, but that's how fragile our minds are that we, that it's capable of falling for this kind of shit. <laughs> I, I get, I get that some of this is like actively, like I don't know. There's like an element of plausibility in terms of some of the aspects of like of how you destabilize a nation like i get it <laughs> and i'm not dismissing that any of that is is possible i'm not dismissing not it completely, but it, it's just the way it's presented here is very silly it's very it's very it's very childish to me it's a very childish way of presenting this and 
And it's just the, the thing that really bugged me, though, is the overdirection and the, just the pushiness of it. Because there's a lot of tell and don't show. I mean, there's some show, but <laughs> there's a lot of telling you. Uh, oh, look, well, this is how, uh, you know, you destabilize a government. You do this, 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 and this. And Marshall Ali li- delivering reams of exposition <laughs> about how this actually works. And, uh, you know, I want to be in the White House, man. Where, where, where's that movie? Right. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. Some of the right-wing chuds, they completely believe it. They're like, they're laying it out right in front of us. And nobody's getting it. Why is nobody getting it? Because it's fucking a movie. Well, that's what's frustrating. I was so proud of my liberal sound of freedom, but those people got to come out and clearly ruin my uh, the way I <laughs> tried to cl- claim this. Uh, I'm, I'm with Sean, though. I, the content and like the plausibility of it, it's not the problem. You know, yeah. I don't even disagree with the message. It's the execution. It's a yeah. it is, like. I, I think it's the worst movie of the year. May probably sound of freedom, but I haven't seen it. Uh, only because it should be better. Uh, it's easy to sit and shit on something like Adam Sandler movies, but this should be better with this cast, with uh, you know Obama behind it. <laughs> There's no reason that this has to be as shitty as it is, and it's, it's a awful. smug movie too. Uh, did you notice how smug this movie is? Because it. Because these are really this is a this is a self satisfied director who thinks he's really he's telling the truth now he's he's getting to the heart of what really could happen and he's gonna you know he's the he's the truth teller here using these people to tell the truth for us all and he all he's really doing is just desperately over directing this movie with those terrible camera angles and and that so the score is very good the score is very very good because you can't stop feeling the anxiety of it but it's this you you shouldn't be paying attention to the score you should be paying attention to the fucking movie and what's happening in it uh-huh. uh and the score is is so is so blatant and so obvious in what they're doing with it it's not as good as a score as, as effective as it is it's not a good score for this movie because it's calling so much attention to itself well there's there's a I don't know if you noticed it or not and it's stupid if you did stupid if you don't uh but there is a like a painting behind the bed in the bedroom uh, uh and in it the wave goes up higher and higher throughout the movie to show you how much more anxious you should be and how more intense and it's just it's stupid because it's not anything you know it's it the movie thinks it's something but all it is is literally like see it's getting more crazy it's getting more crazy and it's the stupidest bit of symbolism <laughs> that i've ever seen <laughs> Uh, and I'm glad I didn't see this in the theater. I don't think I'd have fallen for because I didn't fall for Crash, but that's where the score is really going to get you when you are able to be distracted by it because it's so loud and you got the audience. And uh, I could see more people fall. I mean, people are falling for it. Like you said, it's well-reviewed, but uh-huh. I, I do think your comparison to Crash is right on. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just a movie that is very high in its own supply. It's a movie that really thinks it's it's on to something, and that it's really uh, telling you a truth that you don't already know. Uh, and that that sort of smug smugness in the presentation is really hard to take. Um, <laughs> but that, I got to go back to that ending again. That ending is such shit. Hmm. Uh, we're constantly told that our, that our devices are, are it, it's just that. 
it's that old man yells at cloud shit where everybody's on their phones all the time and they have to have their entertainment media all the time and they can't live in the moment and oh for fuck's sake get over what's even worse is they're trying to do it by generation and so you i mean look i'm proud to be part of generation x however you know, Ron DeSantis is part of Generation X. You know, it's not like uh-huh. we're all the same. <laughs> you know, it's it's so stupid to truly try to tell the story based on what generation you're from. And it tries to do that here with Gen Z and Gen Alpha. And uh, I, I thought that was really weak, uh, especially, you know, like you said, the old man yelling clouds part. It's just such a weak shot at gen alpha who are just kids right now <laughs> so we can't yeah. even truly and i i almost feel like they're going after gen z uh and mistakenly did it with gen alpha <laughs> but uh anyway that's beside the point I, I just this just sucks uh and i know we probably sound smug shitting on it but you know <laughs> that's what our podcast is for <laughs> we're not pretending <laughs> that we're not being smug <laughs> <laughs> I want to say, though, like, it has a cast I would kill to see in a good movie. 100%. Altogether. Um, It has some interesting ideas, but the execution is what absolutely murders this movie. It's like like you said, like Crash, good ideas and some good topics to think about, but, oh, God. And all it is is fuel for the... Right. fucking chuds so i wish this had been produced by george w bush although he's a globalist cabal anyway too so you know maybe donald trump should have produced yeah, this and then go. they would have been falling all over themselves to tell you how, how wonderful it is and how, how he's bringing this all to light instead of in charge of it yes so, that would be way better because trump's made w bush seem more uh, uh, accessible. This is the movie that Deep State doesn't want you to see. I have literally read that comment. See, I feel I mean, happy that God I've God only... Sake. My wife sent me two TikToks and my friend sent me one and my algorithm isn't fucked up yet. Uh, I have no interest <laughs> in going down any rabbit holes because I don't want to be any more mad than I already am. Uh, I half apologize for bringing it to the podcast but at the same time it's appropriate yes classic you know <laughs> yeah well and it's we we had a good conversation about it you know you had you just talked about a you know the boy and the heron great movie but <laughs> jeff and i didn't get to see it so there wasn't much of a conversation uh it's nice this to movie, this movie is such shit <laughs> It's just, and I really liked, I really liked Comet, uh, the the first direct, the first movie that uh, Sam Esmail did, which was again an, uh, also kind of an over directed uh, romantic comedy with uh, I think it was Justin Long and Emmy Rossum. It was you know kind of kind of overdid like trying to be an indie romance, uh, and but at the same time so I, I like movie personification of Emily or uh, Zoe Deschanel. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I, 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 I not that I like Zoe Deschanel, so I don't really know where you're coming from that. Um, but that tweet. I, I just thought he was. I, I think I thought then he was a good director. This time, I think he's just again like high on his own supply. He thinks that uh, he thinks he's giving you 
you know, truth bombs and and I'm, he's directing the hell out of it. And you know what else this is? This is the most direction. And that's what gets so many critics and gets so many positive reviews is the most of something. Like the Iron Claw, I don't want to go back to it because we're not talking about that movie, <laughs> but at the same time, it is the most tragic. It is the most sad. And that's really what you're getting is the most direction. Like when, well, there are a lot of critics who don't, who don't want to do the, do, do the hard job of actually watching a movie and, and trying to p- take it apart and pull it apart. They want to see the director put the work on the screen. Like show your, show your work, show you, ha- show how you got us there. Uh, do the most so that I can say, aha, see, I can see you directing the movie. And I can see Sam Esmail directing this movie. I can see him almost like standing next to the camera, pulling it along to, you know, get those overhead shots or float it through a room to capture somebody's reaction to something. You can just see him doing the most direction and the score is doing the most score. And Julia Roberts is doing the most emoting. And it's like, just don't just just make an actual movie. Just act. Try and acting in a movie. How about that? But that's the thing. If if you're capable of over-directing, that means there's a good director in there. And the, so. the fact that people are falling for this means he's never going to find his true voice because he's going to think this is good and it's just going to get worse from here. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Our undisputed classic is Closer. Closer. Talk about a complete 180 from that fucking movie. This movie is... <laughs> 100% perfectly directed. Like Mike Nichols tells this story so perfectly. The the story just is is just two or four people multiple different sort of couplings and basically comes down to just two men who cannot get past their own dick. Just it's all about their dick. <laughs> they just keep tripping over their own dick throughout these entire movies. Natalie Portman is just this lovely kind of a lost girl who was wandering through England. She just kind of went there on a whim and she's been there for a little bit and she meets uh, Daniel played by Jude Law who's this who feels like kind of a failure as a journalist because he's ended up in the obituaries department. Uh, he you know, falls in love with her almost immediately uh, after she gets hit by a car and he seems to sort of rush in as her hero and save her and she sort of rebuilds his ego by loving him, and that leads him to writing a book where he meets Julia Roberts, who's taking his picture for the book jacket, and he immediately you know, falls for her uh, because she's seemingly doesn't want him. And <laughs> how many men have fallen into that trap of falling in love with the woman who doesn't want you? And then immediately, like, not being able to manage it once she's like, okay, fine, I'll give in and be with you. Oh, shit, now what do I do? <laughs> I mean, Mike Nichols... This is the thing, like, I didn't care for his older stuff where, where everybody said he was, like, the, the voice of a generation in the late 60s. But this feels like he, he saw ahead in time. Even from, like, from 2005 uh, when this movie came out, or 2004 when this came out, this feels like it was made for today, for this moment, for uh, men to look at this and, and like, for, for just to be shamed by it. Because he should be. You should look at this and just go, man, we are we are really that stupid, aren't we? <laughs> a lot you of us are. are really that dumb. <laughs> yeah. I love this movie. I think, it, I think it's just so insightful and, and smart, uh, the, the conversations that they have in these movies. The, the willingness of both Clive Owen and Jude Law 
to look as bad as they do. Like uh, the willingness that they have to be as foolish as they look is really impressive. But didn't Jude Law still go out and screw stuff up in real life? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't even a learn nanny. from the movie. <laughs> <laughs> didn't he, like, screw the nanny or something? Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, you can lead a horse to water. <laughs> I know. I, who, who, which one of us are you calling out? <laughs> I was going with Jeff first, right, but if you Jeff, want to go, go ahead. Oh, I just, I... I didn't get to rewatch it. Um, I just remember the first time I watched this movie when it came out, I was with an ex and it generated a lot of conversation for like a week about, you know, um, Oh, would you ever do this with, you know, with this person? And what would, what would drive you to, you know, be obsessed with somebody for years. And I was like, um, well, I was obsessed with you for a couple of years before we got together. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's about that, like not being able to let go mm-hmm. for me, you know, all the characters, none of them can really let go of something, mm-hmm. whether it be each other or, you know, their feelings up about a particular, um, incident in their past or whatever so yeah their conception of who they are is what they can't let go of the idea of who they think they are and that's such another great point about this movie is the is how insightful it is about how people construct a version of themselves and then how other people force them to uh have to confront that version of themselves and their inability to maintain what they want to be as a person because of other Mm -hmm. people that's exciting uh, Bob, what did you think? Uh, I mean, I watched it when it came out, and it, it is definitely neat to kind of see the 25-year-old version of me that watched this and then the 44-year-old version. Uh, it, you know, you're a different person, but, uh, I mean, I don't have a whole lot more to add. It's just such a – it's an easy-to-watch movie. Uh, it's uh, – all the characters are well written and you know when you and i watched it after i watched the whatever we leave the world behind so it was just such a palate cleanser to probably made me love it even more than it it, i should i don't know (laughs) maybe it is really that good uh but i mean the action the direct the acting the direction the the storytelling everything about it is just so perfect uh that i'm surprised i don't go back to it more and I don't know that I will after seeing it again. I'd like to say I will, but uh, maybe I don't need to. Maybe that's the, maybe that's what it is. But it is such a good, perfect movie that uh, people should go see it if they haven't. I uh, yeah, I had one of those moments watching this that was like it was like watching Amadeus, like yeah, just realization that this is one of the best movies of the two thousands. Like this is just. This is one of the most underrated movies of, of this young century because it is it, Mike Nichols is is so in control. This is such a mature director who uh, he just knows how to get exactly what he wants out of every scene. And he makes every scene matter in a different way. And he uses dialogue uh, to to reveal his characters in the most interesting way possible while keep he's keeping you both entertained but also like 
slowly but surely peeling away layer after layer of these characters. And it is so exciting to watch such a master at work. He, and again, I, I think his older stuff, I'm just not, I just don't care like about, especially like I'm trying to think of a good example, but his older stuff from the sixties, I just, it's, it, it feels like a boomer. It feels like a lot of boomer nonsense, but here he is working in a movie that, that feels like, it, it exists out of time. Like this could have been made yesterday. That's how good closer is. It could have come out yesterday and still be as good. You know, another thing for me too, with, I feel like, you know, don't get me wrong. I love Aaron Brockovich. I think Julia Roberts transcends that character in that movie, mm-hmm. but I would have rather seen her win an Oscar for this performance than that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, now with, you know, leave the world behind, she's obviously going to get another one because the global <laughs> cabal has said so. Um, but well, Holly, yeah, I mean, she's well, just, Hollywood's picking it up for her. Yeah. Yes. Um, she just, she just in that in closer, she's just so present. Is I don't, You know, like, She's just, she's just embodies it. You know what I mean? And I mean, she is, even in bad movies, like Sleeping with the Enemy, she is good. Pretty Woman, she's great. I don't like that movie, but she's great. Um, But for her to do something that was a stage play originally and not try to play to the back of the theater, Mm -hmm. uh, I just, I, I, could have seen her win for this as well. Well, and she is such a A-list celebrity compared to the other three. I mean, Natalie Portman is now, but at the time she was still kind of mm-hmm. finding her way. And, so and the point is, this movie I made $125 million at the box office because of her. Right. But she's not, when you're an A-list celebrity like that, it's so hard to, a lot of times you see Julia Roberts just, as Julia Roberts in yeah. those roles and what you said when she embodied the character, I mean, all four of them did, but for her, that's almost the biggest challenge because she is so known. And that's, what's really great about this is you you don't feel like you're watching Julia Roberts. You feel like you're watching the character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the same time, this is when you know, she's an actress, not a movie star. Yeah. At the same time, Natalie Portman, the way that Mike Nichols films Natalie Portman in this movie is a taunt to the entire audience. He is he wants you to try and objectify her and then have to confront her as a character and as a as a woman who you know, still is very young and finding herself and you know placing really just kind of she's an accusation against both of these men for their for their behavior for the way that they objectify her the way they treat her like like she's not a person. And that's the the camera gaze on her is really p- placing you, whether you want to be or not, in the same place as Jude Law and Clive Owen are, and and that's that's very hard to deal with. You don't want to be those guys, but at the same time, he's placing you in that context very uncomfortably and forcing you to confront it, and that's just fucking great. Well, and I think that's the big. You worded it the way I wish I could. Uh, the big difference between watching it at 25 and then again at 44. Uh, I'm not necessarily putting myself in Jude Law or Clive Owen's shoes, but I'm definitely, a you know, probably a little bit 
more objectifier than that I am now. Not you know now it's you're dealing with it and it's more uncomfortable. Twenty five is more of a kind of a willing to do you know willing to go along with the ride that he's setting us up for. Uh, well, to be you're will, more willing to be blinded the way that right you and five O and R yes and that's that that was kind of a neat uh, discovery this time around. Anything else on closer? Closer. I really hope more people see this movie. I really, I mean, it did really well when it came out in two thousand four. Obviously, as I mentioned, and uh, but it really should be on more lists of like the the best movies of this, you know, of the two thousands. It should be high, high on that list. Like I'm talking like as high as an Ari Aster movie for me. Like that's how high I am on Closer. Like I, this one, I don't. I think it might have been in my top ten in 2004 but now i think it's my top 10 just of all the 2000s movies <laughs> like at that level of of fucking brilliant that's a very bold statement that's cool uh 2023 nothing really came out uh sean <coughs> sorry mentioned wayne's world 2 uh, might have been out around this time uh what do you want to say about wayne's world 2 <laughs> We're not watching it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I asked Amy and MJ if they wanted to watch it, and after the experience we had with so I so I married an axe murderer, and just how fucking how much we hate Mike Myers now, and <laughs> none of us wanted to sit through that. Yeah, so, I, I was a defender of this movie just because I'm such a big Aerosmith fan. Yeah, uh, but it, this was really just a cash grab. Mike Myers by by this point is by ninety three had already grown so ludicrously insufferable that uh, I'm afraid to look at Wayne's World two again because I think I remember liking Wayne's World two when it came out and uh, and now I'm just terrified to even think of watching it again to have that because again I liked Soy Married and Axe Murderer when it came out and now I we watched it for the podcast and was like what the fuck is this trash. It's really just this it was a glass breaking moment. Just like how did this a crash moment? Like did we liked this. Oh my god! <laughs> Don't I'm the only one like, and I was the only one to like crash. I was the only one to like crash. I and know, but I, I've been disabused of that notion quite quite reasonably because I was wrong. Crash sucks. But don't don't bring Slimer to next murder down to that level. Uh, I, I'm not saying it's good, but <laughs> again, it's well, it's the crash should be you know up here, an, an upper echelon film, and Sawyer married an ex murderer's got a ceiling, and it's a pretty low ceiling, uh, and it's Bullshit. closer to hit ceiling, its ceiling than crashes to its ceiling. I mean, the high of Wayne's World and how funny and like perfect that movie was. It's it just nothing. I don't. I like Sean said. I don't want to go back and watch it because I liked it at the time, but I can't imagine liking it now because even the first one has some cringe moments. As a fifty-year-old, yeah. That you know, as a twenty-five-year-old, I thought was hilarious. Right. So. Yeah, I, I just have n- this nightmare of like watching Wayne's World two again and just having to experience. Mike Myers interacting with a guy who is playing Jim Morrison and like that just sounds levels of 
of insufferable that are just like too much on top of each other. All right, what do we got next week? Oh gosh, next week we have Wonka, uh, Timothy Chalamet as uh, Willy Wonka, the origin story of uh, Willy Wonka. But my review is already out, so if you guys want to check that out. And, uh, the classic will be the Gene Wilder uh, uh, Willy Wonka movie, so we'll, we'll do that one. And um, Jeff wants to watch the Johnny Depp. You can do that, Jeff. None of us are gonna. None of the rest of us are gonna do that. I'm not. No, I do not want to watch it. I, <laughs> I simply asked last week, Bob, if this was a if this was a prequel to the Johnny Depp or the Gene Wilder one, because I've heard both in the media, and I just want to make sure that it's not the Johnny Depp one because I don't want to have to watch that one again. He no, does look a lot like Johnny Depp though in this more so than Gene Wilder. <laughs> oh yeah. But that doesn't mean anything. I'm and, not sure. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you're just kind of comparing, uh, you know, the hot suits. boys or something. But I, I don't. I uh, <laughs> Johnny, did you remember what the hair that Johnny Depp is wearing in the in the in his version of? Wonka? You know what? I'm thinking Nothing of. Like. I'm thinking of uh, Alice in Wonderland. There you go. He's that got that. Sense. He's got the yeah. same outfit. Yeah. Now that I think about it. <laughs> Yeah, no, his Johnny and, Johnny Depp's uh, Willy Wonka had this like, like uh, page boy haircut or something. Right, is it almost like Michael Jackson ish or, or is that yeah, another movie? Was, yeah, he played him as Michael Jackson. Timothy Chalamet is not doing that. That's uh, totally, totally not what he's doing. Okay, because if it, if I mean I, I just personally would want to see um, a prequel or if they're going to like do a sequel or something to the. Uh, Gene Wilder one, I want to see Jeremy Allen White as Willy Wonka because he looks exactly like Gene Wilder. He's too busy Um, making uh, a bad wrestling movie. (laughs) I can't wait to love it. (laughs) Good luck. Watch me love it. Who hates wrestling? Watch me love it. I'm drinking. He's a strong one. If you like jerking off to sadness, enjoy the the Iron Claw. Oh, I can't wait. So, basically... (laughs) You just described my entire dating life. <laughs> That's the title of the, uh, of the episode, Jerking Off to Sadness, when we do that movie. <laughs> write that down for me, because I'll lose this paper if I write it down. <laughs> no, I'm like, I'm literally drinking Bret Hart rum. Right so, uh, I wrote, Is it made from real Bret Hart's? I hope so. That was what it was sold to me. I wrote 5,000 words on the Iron Claw. Uh, and the title of the article is "Everything Wrong with uh, the Iron Claw," and uh, I went I went into all the things that the that this movie the movie gets wrong. But how hey, good of a podcast would it be if I like it? Wrestling's not real, guys. It's scripted. We all know that. What? Shut up! But they really die. <laughs> they do. They also leave out an entire brother. Sorry, I'll stop. I'll stop, or I'll go for all night if I start because they leave out an entire fucking brother. Sorry. Well, yeah, Sorry. But you have to consolidate characters to make uh, it work. No, no, you don't. No. Most biopics do, though. Especially garbage. Brothers. Three identical Garth. strangers. Well, there wasn't you. a fourth. <laughs> 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 they were quadruplets. Surprise! Surprise! Oh wait! Surprise! Surprise! When Molly crew the dirt. They did. Oh, anyway, let's. Oh, <laughs> that movie sucks so much. You know, that's a good comparison, actually. Oh, shut up. This movie's A24 <laughs> and getting rave reviews. 
Uh, not the dirt, but uh, the Iron Claw. All right. <clears throat> I like sad. Okay, let's play flip chart. Unless you guys have to go yes. somewhere. No, I'm good. Nope. Remember him? You better sit down. Uh, do we want to run <laughs> closer through mute it? people's stories. Yeah. Yeah. Watch it be on, like the last time we did it. I don't know that we've ever done closer. Oh, it's actually pretty high. 226, yeah. Closer, Scream 4. Closer. Closer is a better movie, but I watched Scream 4 again first. I'll go closer. Closer, 21. Closer. Closer. Easy. Closer, Secret of the Ooze. Why is it running through all the same movies as we did last time? It's going to do that every time. This is the flick chart algorithm. This is what it does. Closer, Ratatouille. Closer. Closer. Closer, Fight Club. Closer. Yeah, closer. That's tough. I'll have to make a decision. Closer, While You Were Sleeping. Closer. We may need to knock while Closer. you were sleeping down a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Closer Dracula. Closer. Dracula. I'll go closer. Closer Goodwill Hunting. Closer. Closer. I'll go Goodwill Hunting. Closer the Exorcist. Closer. The Exorcist. Exorcist. Oh. <laughs> it's wrong. <laughs> it's really not. Closer Hereditary. 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 Closer, Batman 89. Closer. Batman 89. Yeah, Closer is a better movie, but I would watch Batman. We moved it up to number nine, which is a little... Solid. To- we got to the top ten like Sean wanted. That's all that matters. Uh, <laughs> let's play other Knocked, movies. Knocked uh, High Fidelity out. Yeah, it works for me. I-, I like High Fidelity, but not as much as everybody else does. Leave the weapon to blood simple. Blood simple. Blood simple. Yeah. The hand that rocks the cradle, parts of the keep Caribbean, dead men telling no tales. The hand that rocks the cradle. Yeah, I guess it's cheesier and shorter. But Paul McCartney's. <laughs> and it has Julianne Moore in it. Computers are listening to us. We talked about Julian more earlier. What <laughs> happens in Vegas? Journey to the center of the earth. Journey to the center of the earth. Okay. Yeah. I don't and what happens in Vegas is unwatchable. Wreck It Ralph, Revenge of the Nerds. Wreck It Ralph. Yeah, Wreck It Ralph. Agreed. Gas, food, lodging, the fifth element. Uh, I've, I've actually never seen Gas Food Lodging in it. I wanted to. Oh, but I've never seen it. It's seen good. It? I just would watch the fifth. Yeah, I've, I've seen them both, and I would watch The Fifth Element over and over. So, all right, then that automatically. That's a good movie. Wins. While you were sleeping, take me home tonight. Take me home tonight is actually not that bad. Well, it's pretty good. And that poster of Anna Ferris always makes me think of Anne Margaret. So, so is that what we're going with? Yeah. Trying to knock while you were sleeping down a little bit. <laughs> movie that's not even that. It's just this 
everyday rom-com. <laughs> Star Wars, The Last Jedi, The Room. That's tough. The Last Jedi. Shut up, Sean. Star Wars fans would take The Room, though, wouldn't they? <laughs> I'm going Not Last real Jedi. ones. <laughs> I, I don't know. Everybody tells me that The Last Jedi is a Star Wars movie for non-Star Wars fans. That's what I've been told. And that's why it's my favorite Star Wars movie. <laughs> Isle of Dogs, The Night Before Christmas. Isle of Dogs. Yeah, I've not seen Isle of, the Do- uh, Isle of Dogs, but I don't like Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't hate it. I just, it's so over. I've never seen it. Uh, Shazam, the African Queen. African Queen. I want to see a movie called Shazam, the African Queen. Uh, the African Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Mom, Dark City. Dark City. Fine. I'm picking Mr. Mom because it's Terry Gar's birthday. Happy birthday, Terry Gar. Are you fucking kidding me? I'll go Dark City. <laughs> I knew I there was no question it was gonna be Dark City, Sean. <laughs> Dallas Buyers Club, Star Trek Nemesis. They both suck. I don't care which one was. Yeah. <laughs> go to like haven't seen either. You want, let's, let's jerking, you want to talk about jerking off to sadness? Dallas Buyers Club. That is jerking uh-huh. off to sadness. So I voted for it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob's Ladder, Man on Wire. Man on Wire. Jacob's Ladder. You've got to be kidding me. I love Jacob's Ladder, so shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, uh, Man on Wire is an incredible, incredible movie. I haven't seen it. Well, that's why you're voting for Jacob's Ladder. <laughs> Man on Wire. I like one. Jacob's Ladder. If you saw Man on Wire, I don't think you could pick that. You could pick that. Okay. Over. The Witch, Black Snake, Moan. The Witch. The Witch. We will never pick Black Snake Moan on this <laughs> podcast because both Christina Ricci and Samuel L. Jackson t- hate it. Okay. Identity Misery. 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 I, I have to watch that movie. I got to get that back from you, Sean. I'll get it back to you. Outbreak Aliens. Outbreak. Aliens. You like Outbreak for the wrong reasons, though. <laughs> I don't the really only like, Justin Hoffman movie. I don't like any of them, but I'll go Aliens. <laughs> it's technically better. Hugo, The Twelve Chairs. I've never heard of The Twelve Chairs. No, me neither. Hugo Splash. Hugo. Hugo is an incredible movie. It's one. It's probably uh, Martin Scorsese's most underrated movie. I'm going to pick Hugo, although the first uh, on-screen nudity I ever saw was Splash. You know, you I can't remember that anymore. Disney. I know. Disney digitally covered up Daryl Hannah's butt using her hair. <laughs> National, so stupid. National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon One. Five hundred days of summer. These are both good movies. Honestly, no joke. They're both good movies. Uh, we talked about National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon. And actually, I, the, the one thing that we've taken away from 1993 is that parody movies are the best movies of 1993. There are four <laughs> really good parody movies in 1993, and this is one of them. Uh, I think I, I, think I, I just have a thing for 500 Days of Summer, uh, so I'm going to pick that. But I do like, I like National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon a lot. 
I'm picking Loaded Weapon. I'm voting against Zoe Deschanel. Well, since Sean spoke <laughs> so highly of Loaded Weapon 1, I don't, I'm not... I don't hate 500 Days of Summer, but I'm. there are people that seem really tied to that movie. Uh, and I'm... I, it just exists in my world, but I really like Loaded Weapon Ones, and I don't feel bad for picking it now because Sean talked it up. You shouldn't feel bad about it. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very funny movie. Hotel Transylvania, The Saint. They both suck, but The Saint sucks less. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, pick The Saint. Blood Simple, Terminator Salvation. Blood Simple. Blood Simple. Although, if you released uh, Christian Bale's tirade. In theaters, I'd probably watch that a lot. No Country for Old Men, Howard the Duck. No Country for Old Men. What? Come on. I'm just kidding. No Country for Old Men. That's a, you know, back to 2000 movies. No Country for Old Men or a Closer. What do you like better? Honestly, I, I, I'm, I, I, it's recency bias, but I'm, I'm, on clo- I'm on a closer kick, so that's probably where I'd go right now. But, you know, I need to watch No Country for Old Men again to kind of get back into the headspace of that movie and it would be close probably point break 91 toy story 4 toy story 4 yeah <clears throat> hercules samson and ulysses never heard of it good <laughs> i don't want to say it again justice that's uh, not a movie saturday night fever white men can't jump Talk about jerking off the sadness. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know which way to go, honestly. I, I kind of oh. like White Men Can't Jump, but I don't think it holds up very well. Saturday Night Fever is, is very sad. <laughs> so I'm not sure where to go with it. Because <laughs> I laugh during White so, Men Can't Jump. But, I mean, it does kind of make me smile occasionally. <laughs> I'm going to go for White Men Can't Jump simply because of Rosie Perez. What are you doing? You gave my $2,000? You know, that like whole, like just the way she is in that movie. Um, and after watching that terrible Capital One commercial with uh, oh, John Travolta Santa. as Santa Claus. Oh, God. Yeah. The Wait, only <laughs> redeeming quality about that commercial is seeing Donna Pescow. <laughs> All right. White Men Can't Jump. 